to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 says, But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, speaking of the Jews. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you that we can feel your Spirit in this place. Lord, your power is so rich. Your glory is manifest in your house tonight. And Lord, I just pray as I bring your word, Lord, that it would be from you, God, that it would bring you glory and that Jesus, your people, Lord God, would receive it, Lord God, and that I would be a vessel, just a vessel, Lord God, to channel what you want for your people. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, In 2007, um, many of you probably know, but I went on a trip to the United States, went around the world, and we spent uh, three months in the States with my auntie. And uh, she, every morning, would get up at the crack of dawn, and we were sharing a room most times, so it's 5 a.m. She'd just, I'm like, you're on holiday. What is wrong with you? And uh, she was wanted to be on the road early, and I was like, no, nah, I'm not having any of that. I'm on holiday, and I'm going to get out when I want to. And I was most of the time comfortable with the fact that she wouldn't leave me, but there were some days I was like, okay, I should probably get up. But one day I actually got up early, and uh, we were on the road by about 7 a.m. It was cold. Um, it was a crisp morning, not a, a cloud in the sky. And uh, because we were on the road so early, we had all this time, um, so we were you know, going off into little areas just to see what was around and we went to this one um, lake called Lily Lake and I'm glad we were up so early because when we got there there was no one there obviously no one gets up at 7am to go see a lake on holiday except for my auntie and uh, there was there was no one there there was a little breath of wind and all it was was a lake and there were just these mountains massive massive mountains that just both kind of came down into the center to meet the horizon on the other side and because there was no wind and there was nothing stirring there was this beautiful reflection on the water. And uh, it just made the mountains look even more amazing. They were just reflecting this awesome scenery that we were seeing. It made the mountains look even more majestic. A couple of weeks ago, we were, um, a couple of us were up in Lancelin. And for those of you who don't know, Lancelin is just pretty much a sand pit with lots of sand hills. And you go there and go um, sandboarding. We didn't do that. Um, But we walked up the sand dunes and there was, again, not a cloud in the sky and it nearly blinded us. I had my sunnies on most of the time and I would take them off and, nah, nah, it's not going to work. Because what was happening was the the sun was hitting the the sand and it was reflecting back off the sand. It was bouncing back up. And normally, you know, you just kind of think, well, it was just sand dunes. But because of the, the splendor or the whiteness of these sand dunes, it made it look so much more better. And it showed you how, uh, how powerful or how strong the light was that was coming from the sky. And so tonight, simple message, uh, title of my message is Reflections. So the meaning of reflection is the act of throwing back as the reflection of light or colors or mirroring or showing an image. 
And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding, as in a glass, a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And I'd like Moses to come up here. He's going to be my Jesus for a minute. I want you to stand just there and face me. This, I'm sorry if some of you can't see. This is my mirror. Just ignore the crack. It happened on the way to church. So this here is me. Okay, just pretend this is me. That's the Lord. And what it's saying in this verse is because of what Jesus did for us, because of salvation, there's no longer a veil. There's no longer something in between me and God. And I can have all of God. There's nothing keeping me from having God. And when we come to God and we allow salvation to take place in our lives, we're like this mirror. This is my life. And the closer I get, see, I'm far back here. You can only see Moses a little bit. But if I keep going towards Moses, the more and more I get closer to Moses or Jesus, the more and more my life is filled with the Lord. And it gets to the point where, I'm just going to put this down before I drop it and break it, that all that you can see is Jesus. Thank you, Moses. The closer we get to him, the more he's reflected off the mirror, off the glass, like the word says there. Throughout the Old Testament, God manifested his glory through different avenues. We see pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that went with the Israelites after their escape from Egypt and rested on Mount Sinai. We see it filled the tabernacle as a cloud when it was first erected. We see it filled the temple by fire when Solomon's temple was built. And we see his glory reflected through creation. Even our pastor was talking about it this morning and how the awesomeness of the galaxy and how it's all suspended just perfectly. And prior to verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, Paul mentions the veil that Moses had placed over his face in Exodus 34. And we know that Moses, when he went up Mount Sinai, he decided to see the glory of the Lord. He wanted to see, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And we know that the Lord cannot show his full glory to Moses because there is no way that Moses could stand it. It's, it's so pure and, and Moses was so human. And, and God's glory cannot dwell with sin. But the Lord granted his request by saying, you can't see my face, but I'll let you see the remnants of me. I'll pass by and you can, you can just see the little bits that are left over. And so he's put into a, a little cave. And as the Lord goes past, he puts his hand over Moses, as it were. And as he walks past, he takes his hand away and all Moses sees is the remnants of God. When Moses comes down from Mount Sinai after this experience, we read in Exodus 34:30, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come nigh him. And I haven't got this in my notes, but I was just reading previous to that verse. Moses didn't even know that he'd been changed. Moses didn't even know that, that he was shining, actually. It was just, he was just so in awe of God. And, oh God, you're so awesome. And he's seeing even just these little remnants. And even that changed him. And he didn't even know that he had been, that he had been changed. It was those around him that saw it, that, that saw that he had been changed. The remnants of God were still reflecting off Moses. And the Israelites were scared. I get so annoyed at the Israelites when I read these stories, but we're just the same, so I've got to be gracious to them. <laughs> and so he placed a veil over his face. 
And let me say this, anytime, anytime you come into contact with the pure, unadulterated presence of God, you will be changed. You will be changed and you will be affected. And it will be up to you whether or not you allow that change to continue in your life or whether you walk away and you put a veil, as it were, over yourself that separates you from that glory continuing to change you. The veil that Moses placed over his face separated the Israelites from the presence and glory of God. When Moses was unveiled, it was as though they were blinded by that glory. It revealed things that they were probably didn't really want to know about themselves. There was another veil, and that was the veil in the temple. It was a curtain that I was trying to figure out how thick it was, and there's a few different people that think different things. There's nothing specific, but it was thick. Some people say it was up to 10 centimeters thick. And it was there to divide the most intimate place, the holy of holies, from the rest of the tabernacle or the temple. No one, no one other than the high priest was to go through that veil or that curtain. And even he was only allowed to go once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. It represented the separation that people had because a holy and pure God was unable to dwell with sin. And so this area was not just open to anyone. And we understand that the veil in the temple was a shadow or a type that pointed towards God and how he would robe himself in flesh, another veil. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Because the holy God was unable to dwell with sinful humanity, just like he was unable to show his full glory to Moses. He was unable to come to this earth without a veil. And so, as we read in 1 Timothy 3, he was manifest in the flesh. He came and robed himself in flesh and made himself just like you and me. And just like the veil in the temple, the flesh of Jesus Christ separated those around him from the pure glory of God. But God always had a plan. God always has a plan. He never desired for us to be always separated from him, for only one person to be able to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. And we read in Matthew 27, the horrific account of Jesus' torture and crucifixion. But we also read what I think is one of the most exciting things in the chapter. It's the last time that the high priest went behind that veil. Matthew 27, 50 says, Jesus, when he had cried, he was crucified, again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost and he died. And behold, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. When Jesus' flesh died, when he yielded up his body unto death, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing that no longer were people separated from the glory and presence of God, but they now had access to the most intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now people had access to the glory and power that Moses had desired to see that day on Mount Sinai. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 and 7 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, we have this treasure, this treasure precious treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us to God be the glory
To God be the glory. Not mine. To God be the glory. And Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Through his death, burial, and his resurrection, by the blood and by his spirit, we now have access to that glory. And he can pour it into our lives directly without having to shield us or robe himself in flesh ever again. No longer does he dwell in a physical four-walled temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says what? Know ye not that your body, your body, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They are not ours. They are God's. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to give him glory? It simply means to shine, to demonstrate, to manifest the divine, to reflect like that mirror, to show forth and express the image of someone or something. To glorify God is to manifest all that God is, showing forth his self and not our own. In reality, that glory is of no consequence anyway. It's got nothing to write about. 1 Peter 1 and 24 says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, knoweth God, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. We have nothing worth glorying in other than the fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again for you and for me. Hallelujah. 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 John 5 and 31 says, Jesus speaking, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Even the man, Christ Jesus, the flesh desired not to glory in itself. It was all about the divine. It was all about the divine. It was all about glorifying God, reflecting the divine spirit of God through the man, Jesus Christ. In those verses preceding 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul is explaining how that the Jews still have a veil, as it were, over their hearts. Even though the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and it was done away with at his death, they still were bound by the law. They chose to be blinded. They still chose to wear the veil that separated them from the true presence and power of God. And I, a question to you, are we like the Jews in those verses that continue to wear a veil? Have we been in contact with Jesus and his glory, but refused to take off the veil and allow his glory to shine into our lives and from our lives into others? Isaiah 6 and 3 says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. How is the earth full of his glory? It's through his people. It's through us. Psalm 97 and 6 says, All the people see his glory. How? 
We understand that the Lord shows his glory through his creation. The incredible scenery we find, those mountains and that river that I saw, those sand dunes that go for miles. We see those things when you're in a storm, a physical storm, and you see the power of the wind and the waves if you're down by the ocean. But let's not forget, we're his creation too. God has to be reflected in his creation, not just the, not just the rocks and, and the mountains and the seas. It's through his people. 1 Peter 4 and 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. That God, that God, not me, not me, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we speak, when we breathe, when we act, when we respond to situations, are we doing it so that God might be glorified? When we pray for the sick to be healed, what is our motive? Is it for others to see how spiritual we are? Or is it for the sole purpose that if that person gets healed miraculously, that the glory goes straight to God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We like those that Galatians 5.26 speaks about that desire vain glory, preferring themselves over others and over the spirit, thinking we're wiser, richer and more valuable than others around us. Hallelujah. As most of you would know, the national, uh, I was going to say youth, but that's not correct. National Women's Ministries Department are encouraging our women and anyone else who wants to, to read through the book of Acts in the month of February. And yesterday, it was February the 4th. And so no surprise there, we were reading Acts chapter 4. And it's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. In preceding chapters, Peter and John are freshly filled with the Holy Ghost. They've just, for the first time, the power of God just boom into their lives. And they're on their way to the temple for prayer. And there's this lame man sitting there and he asks them for money. And so Peter, freshly filled with the Spirit, he was all bold and gung-ho, let's do this, tells the man to get up and walk. And he's healed. And he's leaping and jumping and praising the Lord. And so this causes a bit of a scene because everyone knows this guy ain't meant to be walking. And so all these people run towards Peter and John as, they, as they're walking to the temple. And Peter preaches to them. And he says, why are you marveling at this? This is just the power of Jesus Christ. This is that guy that you crucified, that you denied and put on a cross. That's his power. And he calls them to repent. And the Jewish leaders didn't really like hearing that. I don't, you know, we can think that we would be one of the ones that were like, yeah, praise Jesus. But really, if someone comes to us and goes, you need to repent, you know, we don't like that. And so kind of have to be gracious to them too. <laughs> and so in chapter four, we see these Jewish leaders. They're not happy that things are ramping up here. Um, they took them and they threw them into prison overnight. And verse four says, however, and this is the cool thing, that even though Peter and John were thrown into prison, Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. They've just gone to prison, and we've just had this 5,000 men revival. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what may try to be done in this world by those around you or by Satan himself. When the word is preached, when people come into contact with other people that are full of the Holy Ghost, that are desiring only to glorify him... And are given the opportunity to speak to the... There, there will be a response. There will be a response. 
There will be a revival if we, if we are glorifying God like Peter and John were. The next day, Peter and John are given the opportunity to speak to the high priest and other leaders. And after they've spoken, we read verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they were just fishermen, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. This verse has somewhat arrested me in the last 24 hours. And I've been going over in my head. When people look at me, what do they see? When people come and talk to me, when they see what I do, when they hear what I say, when they see how I react to situations, when they come into contact with me, do they go away from that encounter saying, there's something different about her? That girl has definitely been with Jesus. Or do they go away unchanged and no better off than when they first met me? Remember, there's nothing in you or I that's worth glorying in. Nothing in ourselves except Jesus. When we become a child of God, we have been bought with a price. And our job is to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. So if we ask ourselves that question... Do people know that I've been with Jesus? And we feel like the answer is no. How do we become one that reflects the glory of the Father to the world? How do we become a mirror that reflects Jesus Christ? Colossians 3 and 3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. My life, the me part of me. That makes sense. This life has to be hid in Christ. It's not seen. It can't be seen. My life has to die. How? How do I have Christ in me more than me? Verse 5 says to mortify or put to death. And I know that we harp on putting the flesh to death, putting it under submission to the spirit. But it is the only thing, the only thing that will stop us from truly becoming what God wants us to be. It says to mortify, to put to death, kill it. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In verse 7, 8, and 9 says, in the which ye also walked some time, when ye lived in them. That was who they saw before. That was what they saw in you before. But now ye also put off, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. I've taken him off and I'm throwing him away. In times past, we lived with these things in our lives. You know the things that were in your life. These things are what people saw when they looked upon us. But now it says to put off the old man, get him off, kill him, get rid of him. But you don't just put off the old man and leave it at that because the old man has this way of resurrecting himself and chucking himself back on you. You've got to fill yourself with something else. You've got to put on the new man. Colossians 3.10 following through says, And have put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. What is the new man? What does a new man look like? 
Verse 12, 13, 14, and 17 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, put on love, put on love which is the bond of perfectness. And verse 17 says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, not Emma Frost's name, not Pastor Butcher's name. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The new man, the new man looks like Jesus. It's the character of Christ. And as I illustrated before, the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to him, the more we throw off the old man, we get closer to the new man. He fills our mirror and the more he becomes prominent in our lives. You see, we can be the most exuberant worshippers in the spirit and I'm not against exuberant worship. I'm a dancer. I'm, I'm a shouter. The, but we can be the most exuberant worshippers in the spirit, have deep revelations of the word of God and I'm all for that as well. We can preach the most eloquent messages from the pulpit. We can sing a special song with the most angelic voice. But if the Spirit of God never leads us to forgive or to love someone who we think doesn't deserve it, to humble ourselves, to go make peace with our enemy, we are unfamiliar in God's eyes. If we are ungrateful, selfish, spiteful, if we are vengeful and rebellious, we are far from God. God wants to see his character reflected in us. He loves our worship. Don't get me wrong, God loves worship and he loves to see us studying his word. We're told we have to study his word. He likes that we have a revelation knowing who Jesus Christ really is, that he is the one and true only God. But what he desires to see most, what he desires to see, what he died for, is so that we would be reflecting him in us. He wants to see himself through you and me. And it is only when we truly reflect him that we truly live out the purpose God has placed in our lives. John 12, verse 32 and 33 says, Jesus speaking, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. We understand that this scripture is prophetic of the way that the Lord would die, that he would be lifted up on a cross and be crucified. It was symbolic of his death. And we read in John 19 that when he had been lifted up and he'd been given some vinegar, that he said these very powerful words, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he died. It was because the man, Jesus Christ, had died. It was because he submitted the flesh to the divine that all men would now have access to that same divine presence. It was because of his attitude, not my will, not me, Lord, but your will, your glory, your will be done, that now men and women everywhere across the face of the earth could now be drawn unto him and find salvation. And the same is for us today. If we will die, if we will allow him to be lifted up through the death of the flesh, then he will draw all men unto himself. If we could get that right, if we could live and walk by the Spirit rather than the flesh, how much more would our witness 
bring people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. Just like I showed with Moses before, am I so close to God that people see him rather than me? Or am I too distant from the Lord and instead they see my desires and my flesh and what I want? When people look at me, what do they see? Do they see the glory of God reflected? Or do they still see my flesh? Do I still wear a veil? Even though when I came to him and took advantage of salvation and was washed in his blood, that veil was torn. Do I still wear that veil of sin and of weight? Matthew 5 verse 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify who? Your Father. Your Father, which is in heaven. And as I was reading this, I thought, this is stupid. Why would God try to explain what a candle is for? Why would he say, don't hide it? I mean, that's pretty much, you would think, if you're going to have a candle and you're going to light it, you're going to put it out there for light to be seen, not for it to be hidden. And yet, we do this in our own lives. We've been given a light from God, his glory in these vessels, and we veil them, either because of fear or worry or doubt or sin, and the list goes on. Verse 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If the gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Woe to us that try to hide the gospel. We have been given such a blessed thing, the glorious gospel. Jesus has unveiled it for us and has made a way. We've been given something so precious, so wonderful, We sing that song tonight when I think about the Lord and all that he's done for me. He saved me, filled me with the Holy Ghost. He set my feet on a solid rock. He turned my life around. We've been given something so beautiful. Woe unto us if we try to veil that which has already been unveiled. And the God of this world will try to blind the eyes of those in the world so that they are unable to see what we have. But all it took was two men. Peter and John, to heal one man, to be filled with the glory. All they did was walk to the temple for prayer. It just shows you that it doesn't matter how much of the Holy Ghost you got, you still got to pray every day. And yet because of the glory reflected from the Lord through their lives, 5,000, 5,000 people believed there was something more to these two men than what was on the outside. They saw the inside. They saw what God was doing. They saw who was on the throne of their heart. They saw the Jesus in them. And it is only by reflecting and showing forth Christ's image and his gospel that others will truly be touched and changed and want what we have. 
We can't just have a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's all good and I'm so thankful we know who he is. But more than that, we must be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A famous philosopher once said, As the sun in water we can bear, yet not the sun, but his reflection there. And as children, we're told, don't look at the sun. Don't, don't. Turn your eyes to the sun. Don't look because it'll blind you. Because it's, the, the sun is so powerful, that the, the light that it brings. But we can see the reflection of the sun on the water. We can see it, you know, t- twinkling. I think that's the word. <laughs> and we see it with the human eye. That's the only way that we can see it, is by the reflection of it on another surface. And we can see the glorious splendor of the light that it brings to our earth. And so it is with the splendor and glory of God. The glory of God cannot dwell with sin. And it can be confronting in the beginning. When the light of the gospel is shed into our hearts, it brings alive, but it also brings to light things that we may not have wanted to see in ourselves. When we reflect the glory of God through our lives, when we allow it to come in and change us, to change those things we don't like, Others are able to see that awesome splendor of God and his glory. If I could have a musician, please. Our pastor has given us the theme for our church for the next 12 months. First, the kingdom. First, the kingdom. When we become a part of a kingdom, we become representatives of the king of that kingdom. We become mirrors with one purpose, and that is to bring glory to his name to his power. He and he alone deserves the glory. We were created to glorify the king, to glorify Jesus Christ. We are called to reflect the glory of God to him and to this world. And I'll remind you, reflection is the act of throwing back, giving back glory. And as he pours himself into me, God, let your glory be seen in this world. I throw it out. I want to reflect it into this world. I want to reflect it into this world. That God would be glorified. That God would be glorified. When we truly live for him and him alone, it is then that we can truly be a witness. It is then and only then that we can truly be a witness to this lost and dying world. It is then that people will want what we have in these earthen vessels. When our motive is pure and all we desire to do is just to please him. You know, when you love someone, all you want to do is please them. You just want to make them happy. You just want to do everything for them. It's like that with God. If we really love him, I just want to glorify you. I just want to make people see how awesome you are. You know, when you love someone, all you want to do is talk about them all the time and say how good they are and how cool they are and how they do all these things for you. So it's got to be like with God. God, I love you. Have you seen what God did for me today? He's so amazing. He wakes me up every morning. He puts breath in my lungs. He heals me when I'm sick. He's my comfort when I'm sad. He's my refuge in a time of trouble and trial. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't let the veil of fear or the veil of doubt or the veil of sin separate you from the life-changing power of his presence and his glory. And don't let those things separate others, others from that same life-changing power. It's through you that those people are going to see what God can do for them. 
Because if you allow the veil of sin to separate you now from that power and of God, and as we heard tonight, the Lord spoke to us and he comes back for his church, you will be separated from that glory forever. But if you are dead to that veil of flesh and let the glory of God have his way in you, you'll be able to be one of those, as it says in Revelations 4, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him, they sat on the throne. He liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Me, got to cast it down, cast off my crown because it's nothing anyway, saying thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy. I reflect it back to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. We are bought with a price. I'm not my own. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Casting down their crowns, they came and they worshipped him. Tonight this altar is open if you want to cast down your crown. So that the world can see his glory. So that your family and your friends, the people you come into contact with, can be saved. Hallelujah. Revelations 5.12 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing blessing I get to bless God I get to bless this awesome powerful mighty God There is nothing in me that is worthy of anything and yet I get to give him myself and bless him and give him glory, blessing, honor, glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom and unto the lamb forever and ever.